Canuck Central, hour number two. If you uh, missed hour one, a conversation with General Manager Patrick Alveen uh, here on Canuck Central. You'll want to hear it. Uh, went through some of the additions or promotions within the front office. Henrik and Daniel Sedin specializing into a player development role. Mikhail Samuelson brought back to the organization in a player development role, as was Mike Komisarek. His thoughts on that, how they are preparing for the entry draft, and what to do with JT Miller and Bo Horvat and their soon-to-be, potentially, expiring deals at the end of next season. So you want to check that out. You can always get any of our exclusive interviews, inside info, and during the season, every single post-game show here on the Canuck Central podcast feed. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. Uh, coming up, Don Taylor will join us. Hour 2 is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. I wonder what Don Taylor thinks of cilantro. Ooh. Probably not going to get ratioed the way you did. <laughs> Although I'm curious to hear what his answer is. Does he need a big bunch of cilantro? Yeah. Well, he often talks about his uh, gardening, so I wonder if he's got any mm. uh, cilantro growing in the garden. Uh, Don Taylor joins us. Uh, Donnie and Dolly, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon. Uh, Donnie, I, I riled up Twitter uh, this weekend because I simply just, like, I went to the grocery store, I got a couple of things, I was I was making tacos, whatever, and I wanted some cilantro, and then I realized, like, I'm buying all of this cilantro, I really need, like, half of the bunch, you know? Um, it, it, it's it's ridiculous how much how much cilantro comes in a bunch, and people are, are very mad at me now. Why are they mad at you? Uh, and that's the way it's been forever. Well, it's like, well, you you clearly are a terrible cook if you're not using enough cilantro. Uh, okay, yeah, news. The thing is, cilantro is it, it's it's a deal breaker for a lot of people. It's polarizing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is people, very polarizing. I, I, you know, guys, like you can't put too much in it, or just putting any of it in can be a problem. I have friends and relatives who think it, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but they think cilantro tastes like soap. Yeah, it's and like it's like some kind of a gene that they have that uh, cilantro tastes like so- soap. Yeah, and I I love it. I think it's fantastic. The more the merrier. Absolutely, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Do you yeah. grow cilantro in the garden or what? No, no. I, no. Uh, my wife's in charge of uh, you know herbs and, and vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I, I handle the shrubs and trees. <laughs> you do the grunt work, Donnie. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm pulling up roots and stuff like that. But uh, no, no cilantro for me. I don't know what she has on the menu in, the, in, her, in her garden there. But, uh, I'm dying to find out. I'll send some over to you guys. Yeah, and scare the bears away when they uh, when they come try and uh, oh, man. To take Absolutely. some. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Don Taylor joins us every Monday here on uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, we had a bit of a conversation with uh, with Patrick Alvine earlier, and you know they're they're making some changes on the player development side. You know, it, the one thing that that well, every time you know we we go into draft season, Donnie, and and lately we've been talking about the the shallow Canucks prospect pool quite a bit. Um, it's uh, how is it so shallow? Like, how did we get to this point that the team has missed the playoffs for what six of the last seven yeah. years, and they've got almost no prospects to speak of? Yeah, some good players that are already on to the roster and are still very young in their careers, but how is there nobody else coming? It feels like. I guess when you trade away uh, first-round draft picks for veterans, even though everybody, I think, would agree the J.T. Miller deal they'd make again, that's what's going to happen. You're going to you're going to lose prospects, and then if you, uh, by and large, don't draft all that well, you see, and it's not just about the first rounders. 
the Vertana and the Alevi misses, but there's been some misses in the later rounds too. And, you know, you look at uh, Tampa and the way they've developed with not just first rounders, but, you know, players uh, like a Pilat who is, you know, um, uh, drafted later on. And that's just something the Canucks haven't done a whole lot of. And, uh, you know, I, I think it probably, I, I, I'm going to guess if I had to, if I had to, you know, have a strong opinion on it. It would be more about development than drafting and, you know, giving away a Gustav Forsling, you know, Tyler Madden, same sort of thing. Uh, off they go and they, they develop in another, or maybe they develop in another organization. When, you know, it's one of those frustrating things that when you have a team that drafted well at the top of the draft in many years and was in a spot where they probably should have had more draft picks and they never did. And I think that's the biggest frustration, right, Donnie? Because mm-hmm. if you spent eight years and you made the playoffs twice in those eight years, you probably shouldn't have a draft pick deficit, especially when it comes to first the first three rounds. And that's yeah, where the Canucks and, are at. Yeah, and I think that speaks to focus. And there was never really a, a, a focus of we're going to rebuild or never really a focus of, I shouldn't say that never really was. There were short spurts where there was a focus of, Hey, maybe we should draft well, mm-hmm. and maybe we should, you know, uh, you know, uh, pile up draft draft picks. Oh no, hold on a sec. We had a good season. Let, let, let's just go for it and trade away our draft picks. And there was never a strong focus from day, day one. And I think that's where we're at now. That's where the Canucks are at right now is that lack of focus uh, really, 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 really hurt them. And they're left with uh, a, an empty, not empty, but virtually empty prospect pool where, you know, one second they decide they're going to go for it. The next second they're going to make a small R rebuild. Whereas if they just would have right off the bat said capital R rebuild, not be afraid of that word, even with the 101 point season in 2014, 2015, I think things would be a lot different now. I think this is part of the, the confidence in the, in the new regime is that, there does seem to be a focus and a conviction in, in how they want to take the club forward. And also, you know, like, hey, Jim Rutherford can strut around with, uh, with three Stanley Cup rings, and he's, he's got a history of being able to manage up to ownership. And that's, I think, one of the things that this team has desperately needed for a while, Donnie. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I, let's be honest, Jim Rutherford's in his 70s. I'm sure, and, and he's just got that presence about him. And like you just said, he's got that, you know, resume as well. I'm sure he, you talk about managing up. I'm sure the first words out of his mouth is, yeah, sure. I'll come. But he, you know, I'm the, I'm the boss when it comes to hockey decisions, you know, he just let me do that and, and stay out of the way. And, um, they haven't made, you know, very many significant moves, uh, yet. And a lot of people are just anointing them as way better than the previous regime, but so far so good. Anyway, looks really promising. Well, I mean, it goes back to what you mentioned, just having that type of focus. And as far as, you know, consumer confidence goes, it will be interesting to see what the reaction is, whatever decision to make on JT Miller. Doesn't doesn't that kind of seem like the real referendum point here for this new regime? And either way, it's going to be split. Some fans want JT to stay come hell or high water. Some fans want him traded come hell or high water. And I think no matter what they do with JT Miller, that's going to be the first point, I think, Donnie, where we see some real frustration coming at the, at the front office. And I think maybe Rutherford has been bracing us for this. I mean, he was on your guys' show and mentioned yep, Miller yep. trading, and he says we got to make tough decisions. He mentions we got to make an unpopular move. It almost seems like they're bracing us for something. Yeah, and, and it seemed when he talked to us last week, uh, I got the sense that, again, we're reading between the lines because they're not coming out and, 
and, and saying you know what they what they really feel, and that that's totally understandable. So you speculate from what you hear. I thought he was much stronger in his opinion uh, of Bo Horvat in terms of keeping him here long term versus Miller. And part of that might be well, obviously some of that has to do with age. And I think too with Miller, uh, you're going to be selling high. I mean, Horvat got the 30 plus goals. That's great. But Miller's a top 10 scorer, and you wonder what he could do in the future. But I, 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 my, my guess would be if they were going to keep one of them, it would be it would be Horvat. Just based on what I heard la- last week, I think they're going to keep Besser too. It, it, it seems even with the one year qualifying offer, and see what they can get for JT Miller, and that's where the focus comes in, where you keep the younger player in Horvat, who also had a pretty good season, and you, you grab some uh, real valuable, hopefully young assets in return for, return for Miller. Right now, that's what I think would ha- will happen. We asked um, Alvin earlier, you know, could you go into training camp with, with Horvat and Miller uh, not having new contracts? You know, still as pending unrestricted free agents starting, starting next season, and he Kind of, he pondered it a little bit, and then he gave us the stock answer of, "Well, they're they're under contract. There are players. We'll we'll use the time if we have it." Essentially, um, do you think that's a, a realistic scenario where the Canucks start in September at training camp, and both Miller and Horvat don't have new deals, or is that too much of a distraction or too much pressure on the team going into the season to potentially have these two looming free agents, massive free agents? that could uh, affect their trade deadline plans? I think it depends on how they feel the rest of the league will react. Like, uh, I, will they, and whether or not they, you know, look, here's the other thing that we'll never talk about. It's it's also up to, uh, part of this is up to Horvat and Miller. They might not want to stay. You know, they might say the right things, but, but we don't know. But I think, you know, when, when you've got an asset like that, I'm wondering given his experience, Jim Rutherford's experience, and Patrick Elvin's been around for a while, if they feel that maybe they can get more at the trade deadline, if, if they were going to go that route versus versus earlier in the season. So, yeah, you keep them you keep them around. They don't get signed, but you feel you can get some something for them at the trade deadline. And, and you look, guys, at, at you know, uh, the trade deadline this year, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the New York Rangers, it's really worked out for them doesn't always work out, but there's some recent history that tells you that maybe a desperate team will give up something looking at what a team like the Rangers has done this year with, with Cop and Mott, and maybe they feel by adding a Miller, that would be a big, big deal. So at that point, if you've got some desperate team and teams and there's a, there's a battle going on, if you've signed Miller, you're not going to get those prospects in return. So it's a really interesting uh, time, but you know, Sat, you're bang on that, that Miller is the, is the key block here. You know, if if he goes, what that you know that tells us that they're they've got their eye on a rebuild. If if he doesn't, then they feel they can compete and hopefully build up their their prospect pool with later round picks. Well, and it is fascinating because when we look back at Canucks history, if JT Miller gets traded, the only I mean, how many players were traded at a higher peak of their careers than JT Miller would be? I mean, Bure potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else is? I mean, yeah. would JT maybe be the second best player at the time this team's ever traded? That, that this team, I was going to say, in the league, there's been real. Like Phil yeah. Kessel was traded, a, you know, mm-hmm. still a, a pretty good, pretty good player. Yeah. Um, well, I guess you could argue for Lincoln, but I think the stats show that he was on the downside when they mm-hmm. when they made that deal. Although it was made big waves, 
uh, here. I guess, uh, you know, Todd Bertuzzi was never really the same after the, yeah. there's still a lot of hockey. Left. I mean, heck, he made, you know, Gretzky had him on Team Canada in 2006, and that was after the Moore, Moore incident. But And what a bad man, penalty yeah. he took at the Olympics, too. Remember in Torino? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so... You, Did anything yeah, go right at that Olympics? Not really. Oh, gosh, I can't... You know, it was just awful. It was just... And it was, like, the worst Olympics. They, oh, the the, so the town didn't care, and, and it was... Uh, it was not good. I'm, I'm, this is all due respect to Henrik and Daniel and everybody on Team Sweden, but yeah. um, it was it was just really not very uh, memorable. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just... I'm trying to think of somebody in there... Well, they did trade Cam Neely away yeah. uh, just before we got to his Ex- prime. In fact, yeah. you know, a couple of months before he got to his prime. So, so there was that. But again, when, you know, when they traded Neely, I don't think many people in town saw that coming. So no, I mean, this, this it, would be different. And even Rick Vive at the point, like he was good, but he was yeah. he became great when he went yeah. to Toronto. Like yeah. I, that's yeah. that's that's what I find fascinating here because. As essentially, even Bertuzzi, you're right. I mean, he didn't. He scored twenty some goals that year. It was a seventy point year. We all mm-hmm. thought it was a bad year after the big contract he got and all the stuff going on. Like, I, I think the only player that surpasses JT Miller at the time of potential trade would be Burry. Yeah, and and you know we we we, we you know stand to be corrected and yeah. all of that. Burry wanted out of town though too. Yes, exactly. So a little yeah. bit different. Miller saying all the right right things, and you know he's got a contract that's expiring. But Burry, you know, came flat out and just said, "I'm not going to say my give my reasons, but I want out of town." And uh, off he went to Florida, and he was at the time. I mean, he, he people forget he had a couple of fifty goal seasons with with the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. He was still very much mm-hmm. uh, when he left. He didn't start uh, declining until he got to New York and the Rangers. But no, he was very very much there. But he wanted out, so it's a it's a little bit a, a little bit different. That's a it's um, interesting. To, you know, I'm trying to rack my brain here. Think of somebody else. I'm sure one of your listeners will come up with it. But uh, yeah, that this would Miller would definitely be a guy who's like you know 99 points, and just the business of the NHL now with one year left in his contract, and you're thinking of trading him. It sounds crazy, but it might make a whole lot of sense. I don't. I don't think there's a trade that has scarred this fan yeah. base more than the Neely one, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, but but again, it, it, it did. But I always make this point that it was it was June sixth, nineteen eighty six, and you know, you know Barry Peterson was a one hundred point center. Uh, we've been talking a lot lately about you know most points in a playoff series or a playoff season, and the the record is held by uh, Rick Middleton with nineteen points in a seven game series, and I bring that up. Because Dreisaitl had 17 in a five-game series, which was really, really close. And Barry Peterson was right there in, in 83. So when he came to the Canucks, nobody complained. And like Neely, he was a local guy. He was from the island. So no, nobody really yeah. uh, complained. It didn't scar people initially. But it's the worst trade in Canuck history. It's, it's <laughs> uh, well, 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 well documented. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, Jim and Patrick do better if indeed they trade uh, uh, JT Miller. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's interesting because I mean I have uh, Woodley sent me send us a note saying Luongo, but Luongo wasn't really at his peak at the point. I mean he wanted out, right? The contract yeah. was onerous. He had the my contract sucks thing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> was kind of hanging yeah. over his head. And Kessler also, you know, really very, wanted out. The very public yeah. spat yeah. with John Tortorella. But even Kessler, yeah. would you say yeah. right now who's a who's a better player right now at the time of the trade, J- Ryan Kessler when he was traded back in 2014, or JT Miller today? I got to go JT Miller, um, you know, uh, center, left wing, mm-hmm. PK. I mean, and Kessler did, did this as well. 
I don't remember him playing the wing that much, but, um, you know, center, left wing, PK, power play, and kind of the engine that drives all of that, drives the top six, driving the power play. You know, Ryan had, had the Sedins with him, but he's the straw that stirs the drink for, for the Canucks. I know we could talk about Hughes and, 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 and Pedersen, but I, you just, just by watching them, you can just tell who the guy that, who, who's the alpha male there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot there. And, and, and Kessler, what, I don't think, you know, he was a second line setter. So he wasn't, I don't think he was quite, and, and I know, you know, you would hate hearing this, but um, I don't think he was quite where JT Miller is. I don't think he was. And he, and he also was, uh, you know, asking out. So uh, that, that yeah. also diminished his yeah. value, right? And he and only and, wanted and, one and team. And injuries, <laughs> and injuries as well. And injuries as, as well. Yeah. And, but, you know, to his defense, you know, he was often called the helicopter center because he had no wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe even though they made the, the, the Stanley Cup in 2011, maybe not as much support. And, you know, guys, getting back to your, your, your previous subject here, when you talk about Ryan Kessler and look back at that team that made it in 2011 and you had Kessler, uh, Burroughs, mm-hmm. Bieksa, and a couple of other players that were key and they spent significant time in Manitoba, yep. getting getting developed, and you know, not that long after, they're key parts of a team going to a Stanley Cup final, and they still they look fondly upon their time in in Manitoba. And uh, I know I'm veering off a bit here, but that just reminded me of, of of a time when the Canucks were doing a good job of developing. Uh, last one for you, Donnie. Uh, you like Edmonton or Colorado? <sighs> I gotta take. Colorado, just because I think, let, let's say McKinnon and McDavid cross each other out, and I think the X factor, as great as Dreisaitl is, will be the guy in the, you know, on the blue line for Colorado, and that's Kel McCarr. So I'll, I'll, I'll go Colorado. Yeah, I hear you on that one. Uh, thanks for this, Donnie, as always. No, no problem. Love it. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Don Taylor joining us here on Canuck Central. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, that, uh, that was an interesting little topic. People got into it, too, on our text inbox. So... About- which player in Canucks history was traded more at their peak than JT Miller would if he does get moved by the draft? Burry's the obvious one. Went yep. on to score like 58 goals back-to-back years. He had 51 goals and 90 points the year, his last year in Vancouver. So he was coming off a high, but he wanted out, obviously. But he was at his peak, just the yeah. whole idea. The, I mean, the point I'm trying to make here, too, is when we talk about the highest-end players, all the ones, they wanted out. <laughs> the only guy who didn't want out is JT. JT potentially Corey Schneider somebody texted in uh-huh. that's a good one but even you know he was he was getting to his peak was great in New Jersey for a couple of years then it fell down that's probably the the closest one it's probably Corey Schneider um and Corey Schneider and JT Miller and especially because Schneider didn't want to be traded I mean the team traded him everybody else yeah. though what what usually there's something that leads to them not being there anymore them wanting out that leads to them not to getting traded you don't oftentimes see a player this good get traded by a team out of their own volition. Yeah. Bo Horvat uh, was the ninth overall pick. That's uh, what they got for Corey Schneider. That's yeah. it's a pretty good package. But I think JT would get more, right? Well, I mean, JT's... I mean, we can come up with different players, like Linden, too, yeah. we talked about. Cody Hodson, he has been texted in. But were they at the same peak JT was at? My point is JT's peak. JT JT's was, coming off 99-point season. Linden wasn't coming off his career year when he got traded. Yeah, JT was like... You know, 
points-wise, I mean, he was a top 10 player in the league, right, this year. So that's pretty good. Um, Alexander McGillney, that's another one. Yeah, Almo, also kind of wanted out. Jersey. Also wanted out. It's uh, it, it's Beret and then potentially Miller, because of the wanted out status. You know, if if Miller were to publicly do something like that, it diminishes his trade value. Yeah. Like Kessler's trade value was cratered. That's part of the reason. Uh, you know, fans will never let go of it. Um, and why the Ring of Honor discussion is always like fifty-fifty for a lot of fans, because he wanted out, and he kind of forced the Canucks' hand to trade yeah. him to Anaheim specifically. Yeah. So it really limited what Jim Benning was able to get in trade. And ironically, that wasn't one of the worst trades he made. <laughs> um, replacing Ryan Kessler was one of the worst trades he's ever made. Well, and you know, I mean, even uh, on uh, on McGillney, when he got traded, he's coming off three years where he kind of struggled by his standards in Vancouver. He had 45 points in 51 games. He had 45 and 59. He had 38 and 47. So he was coming off three years where he played 51, 49, and 47 games. Yeah. And, you know, not at the same peak. He was Again, he wasn't at a peak. Mm-hmm. It's... It's fascinating. I mean, this is a situation the Canucks haven't found themselves in very often in their organization's history, where a player this important is up, and they may may end up trading him. How often do teams sell high in this spot, though? Not very often, because generally speaking, and I always joke around about about how NHL GMs are overly conservative. Yeah, because they are, because they are afraid of losing star players because it's so hard to replace them. Yeah, they just. Okay, here's the contract. Yeah, we'll deal with it later. <laughs> I, w- I probably won't be here anyways yeah. in the final few years, but they're, they're too impactful for us to be able to replace them otherwise. The The main times that it happens is when a team finds themselves in a cap situation, like in the cap era. It's when, it, when a team finds itself in a cap situation then they have to move a player that they'd rather not move. Artemi Panarin is probably the biggest case of this. But even then, like Chicago traded Panarin before they had to. And it was such a weird deal at the time. They traded Panarin, who had two years left on his deal, in exchange for Brandon Saad, who had four years remaining on his deal. They're like, we're going to just take the worst player because we want cost certainty over the next four years. Like, what? No, no, that's not how it works. Keep Panarin. <laughs> yeah. Why are you? Why are you doing this? What do we think? What are we talking about here? And it pissed off uh, Taves and Kane that they traded Panarin too. Well, because he's pretty good. Yeah. And, and I like Brandon Sod, but it just doesn't look good. In hindsight. Well, Sod came back to Chicago and like he struggled in Columbus, and yeah. then he struggled coming back to Chicago, and only recently has he kind of found his game again. Yeah, and I mean he's he's a nice complimentary player. He's not Artemi Panarin. He's not. No, that's probably the player that was traded at their biggest peak in recent years. And even that was quite a few years ago now. Yeah. It's going to be and you PK know, Subban for Shea Weber. That's probably one. That's one, yeah. PK was like Norris level defenseman at that point. Tailed yeah. off quick for him. Yeah, it didn't take very long. <laughs> but I mean it's and and it's fascinating. And even the other thing we talked to Donnie about no matter what decision to make with JT Miller, it's going to be polarizing, Dan. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we haven't, we've so far, there's only been accolades, mostly some criticism of the front office, especially now with Moth or some of that going on and, you know, some skepticism and, you know, some criticism, but generally it's pretty muted, pretty quiet, not, not a lot. Well, there's not enough to really criticize. Once that deal is made, whatever it is, JT trade or sign, there's going to be people that are going to love it and hate it. Yep. Both ways. Because there are camps right now that say, keep them and trade them. You're not going to satisfy both. I mean, that no matter what they do, that's going to be the first moment where the heat's going to come down on this front office. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Keep the texts coming in. Uh, a thought on something Patrick Alvin had to say to us earlier on in the show and a preview of the Oilers Colorado Avalanche coming up next on Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh, we've struck a chord with uh, some of our live listeners here, uh, either on the Sportsnet app or on your uh, AM dial, 650 HD Radio 3, 96.9 on the FM dial, uh, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Andy and Langley, don't forget Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. That was a uh, mm-hmm. sell-high type of trade. And also says, trade Miller, sell-high. <laughs> Not Do going it. to win the Cup next year. Get something that will help the team in three years when the window will be open. It's so simple. Yes, so simple. I we wish should it all be GMs. Simple. We should. This is why like uh, NHL 22, Eastside Hockey Manager is also great. Yes. Did you ever play Eastside Hockey Manager? That was an old one. No, I never played that. I was like... No. Really old. <laughs> You're younger than I am, too, Dan. I just loved manager games. You know, I'd play... Uh, you play football manager now yes. or your phone? Yes. Um, but Eastside Hockey Manager was pretty high-end. Anyways, you build your hockey team. You don't even play the games. You, People you, never really understood that. Like, So wait, like you play a video game, but you don't like don't even play the game? It's like, yeah, it's the same as you like simming through a season in NHL. Well, I mean, I, that's pretty much what I... I would spend more time in Dynasty mode building teams than I would play in the game. Yeah. Especially in basketball, like I, I just do like an all-out draft, draft out my team. <laughs> do the fantasy draft, the whole bit. Basically, I mean, I did more fantasy drafts in my NBA games than actual games played. Yeah, like I suck at playing games, but I'm great at making trades. Yeah, it, but you know what Andy and, and Langley is getting to, like it, it seems so easy, right? It always seems so easy. You trade all these guys, you get a bunch of draft picks, and then. You're eventually going to be good because you, you you got so many young players. Well, ask Buffalo how that worked out yeah. for them. But no, but honestly, I mean, the biggest issue this organization has had, and we spoke to Dan about, I mean, to Donnie about this, was what's your a- actual plan? Yeah. And are you sticking to it? And who's who's in charge of running your operation? When your plan changes every six months to a year based on your results, you're not going to have any cohesiveness. And constantly it was this rush and they said it from day one it was about we want to be competitive but we also want to build towards the future mm-hmm. and when they made the playoffs the first year i mean i remember trevor linden you know him and jim both were very very almost bordering on arrogant with how they said that this team is doing everything they said and it's validating their opinion and this is what it's going to be like from this point moving forward and all this sort of stuff and it was a mirage that they fell mm-hmm. for and it took like a a few years to figure that out. But as soon as he realized, okay, we got to pump pump the brakes on this and take our time, and you know, we we can't just turn this around in a hurry. It's not like a video game. It took Lyndon a few years to figure that out. But at that point, the vision had already been sold to the owner, and Jim didn't want to move away from that vision. So then that big breakup happened, and that was the most pivotal point 
where everything really went awry. Because I think with Lyndon in charge, when he finally learned what he had to do, when he finally figured out, okay, now you delegate, and now you have the, the draft under Judd Brackett. Now you had development doing its own thing. And you had a more cohesive plan. Then all that stuff was stripped away. The Canucks got worse in their scouting meetings. They got worse in their scouting development. They got worse in player development or when Lyndon left. And not because Lyndon left. It was because things fell through the cracks. And we don't have proper leadership in your front office. Mm-hmm. And you don't have people that don't, that don't delegate properly. These things happen. There are times that people in the organization would, would voice frustration about a lack of communication between different levels. I mean, there's a story about how three different scouts and management ended up in the same game to scout the same prospects without any of them knowing they were all going to be there. So when this type of planning and mismanagement happens, it goes beyond evaluation. It's just too many things falling through the cracks that eventually cost you. And that's where the Canucks found themselves in. And that's why they probably should have made the move they made two or three years ago. Yeah. And... You know, you you felt it even last year when they had that first when they had that big COVID outbreak. The lack of communication uh, really uh, did not help the organization when they were really going through a very difficult time. It's and now it's you, you kind of hope it's all changed, but we don't know because we don't have enough of a uh, track record to go on just yet. But you, you think about a plan, you think about focus. Even when this team was bad and kind of rebuilding, it was not rebuilding by choice, right? It was just, hey, we're bad, (laughs) right? But we're still going to try and make the playoffs next year. And that's not really, you you can't do that, right? And it's part of the reason why they are in the position they're in with such a shallow prospect pool. And we talked to Patrick Alvine earlier about trading down in the draft. And you can find the full interview on the podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. But straight up asking him about the idea, the process, the strategy of trading down in the higher rounds of the draft to collect more picks. And it's an answer that we kind of talked about in the past, Sat, where it's not a, hey, we're going to do this no matter what. It's always with the context of how the start of the draft plays out. Every single forward-thinking organization wants to trade down. They head into the draft saying, we'd love to trade down. Yeah. And then their pick comes up, and they look at the players available, and they realize that one or two players they really, really like is available. Mm -hmm. Because every single team's tier and list is so different and divergent that at any pick in the top 15, 20, you're going to have a guy you like. That's just the way it works out. And this is something that I've learned talking to different teams, and you just learn by looking through history and then figuring out where teams kind of had players ranked. And Alvin himself said, it's like, yeah, you know, we'd love to trade down. You get more picks that way, but you also might pass on a player you really want to select. And especially in the first round. I think this Canucks team, I can, I can, would, I would wager on the Canucks trading down in this draft. Yeah. I would not wager on the Canucks trading down in the first round. Mm-hmm. So it could happen in the later rounds, not in the first round. It can. I don't think it's a likely scenario. Like, I'm not going to put money on it. Yeah. Like, if we're, if we're putting a betting line on it, I'm not taking it. I'm well, taking the under on trade downs in the first round. The thing about this draft, too, is there is a uh, long list, a long tier of player that are kind of graded similarly, right? And we've talked about this, how if you end up 
having a player fall to you, you're not going to let that player pass. It's very realistic to think the Canucks end up with a player that they have ranked top 10 on their board at 15. Easy. I mean, I, I can potentially yes. even higher. I can I can say with a decent level of um, confidence that a top 10 player will be available yeah. for them at 15. A player they view as a top 10 player. And when it gets to that point, are you trading that 15th overall pick? Probably not. When you're like, hey, one of our top 10 talents has fallen to us. We should just take him. Probably not. And hey, maybe it happens. And I'd love to see, you know, and be surprised. But ultimately, that's where it comes down. And that's why I'm, I've always been skeptical when I hear about f- trade downs in the first round. And it's easy to look back at it in hindsight and say, hey, you know, the Canucks could have traded down from Ulevi's spot. And, you know, they could have had an extra pick. They could have traded down this year and still got the player. But if you value the player, mm-hmm. you're not going to want to trade down. Uh, let's get to a couple of different things before we... Um close out the show today and I'll bet on hockey like never before with play now sports your local BC sports book I wanted to take a look at the Edmonton Colorado series before we finished up today oh Sad. I'm so excited for this Dan I'm so excited for this so we've got uh four top 10 players in the league going up against each other yes potentially well depending on where you rank Miko Rantanen, probably 15. 15, yeah. I mean... Um, five of the top 15. Five of the top 15. Yeah. Not bad. It's pretty good, yes. I'd say. Not bad at all. I mean, especially with the way Devin Taves is playing, some people would even say, you know, if you if you do like maybe five or six top 20 players, I mean, mm-hmm. hey, point being, you're right. Let's, let's stick with the top 10. They got four top 10 players in this series. I am hyped to watch these two teams go head to head. And I think it's going to be more fun than the Blues series. And it's going to be more fun than the Battle of Alberta. Will it be more fun than the Battle of Alberta? Yes. Does Edmonton have a chance in this series? Yes. Doesn't seem like many people think they do. Well, they're wrong. You think Edmonton's got a chance here? I, I mean, when are we doing our predictions now? I mean, we're just talking about the series. Okay. Tomorrow, game one, uh, money line, 255 at playnow.com for the Edmonton Oilers. So they are pretty heavy underdog in game one in Denver. Colorado, 154 on the money line for game one. We'll have it for you on Sportsnet 650. I, look, of course, we're coming off a series where Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl look like they could do literally nothing wrong, mm-hmm. where Edmonton's second line dominated any of Calgary's secondary scoring bar Michael Backlund, right? Everything clicked yeah. for Edmonton in one series. I can't expect mm-hmm. it to click again, Sat. Like, there's just there's too many holes on Edmonton's roster. I'm not believing in the band-aid that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl put over this team. They're not going to be able to defend against Colorado and the stars that they have. You're not, you know, stopping Milan Lucic and Trevor Lewis anymore. You're stopping Kadri and Rantanen and all these guys that are way better secondary scorers than anything Calgary had to offer. Well, you don't. Dis- I mean, I don't disagree with anything you just said about the secondary scoring, the advantage, and the biggest disadvantage Edmonton has in this series is their defense and their lack of pace on that defense. Like, I think Bouchard's going to be in trouble. I think Duncan, Duncan Keith's going to be in trouble at Duncan times. Keith is going to really have a tough series. He's been good in the playoffs. He has. Give him credit. Yep. 
but I think this matchup is tough for him. Mm-hmm. The speed is going to be really tough for a lot of the defensemen on that team. Even Tyson Berry, with how he doesn't know how to defend, he's going to have a lot of trouble. So I think those guys in particular, half your defense is going to be in tough, at least. Yeah. And that's a problem. And Mike Smith against Colorado seems a little scary. However, who is stopping and getting in Connor McDavid's way? I understand what you're saying Yeah, about how they can't stay as hot as they've been. But who is stopping those guys on that? I mean, what is Colorado's biggest weakness? They can't defend. They're not good in their own zone. And those guys... Yeah, but they can eat. defend better off the rush than they can when they get stuck in their own end. And Edmonton is more of a team that is going to score off the rush and in transition than they are kind of like the Blues who like to get set up, get and play below the hash marks and really force you to make strong plays defensively, get you to play strong positional. And, you know, Makar is much more comfortable transition defending than he is when he gets stuck in his own end. Well... I don't think the whole team can play that style. You're right, especially their third and fourth lines. But why can't their top six? Yeah. I mean, you look at McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane. Nobody's getting in their way. Nobody is. I don't care. They're not. They're going to (laughs) eat. So they're going to do their thing. But even Ryan Nugent, Hopkins, and Hyman, they got speed. They're aggressive. I mean, we're not talking about guys who are slouches. I think they can play down. They can win battles for the pucks and four-check well. So the issue is going to be, how do you handle your third and fourth lines? And... Does Edmonton ultimately have enough secondary scoring, to your point, to overcome this? But I keep looking at the series back and forth, and I'm not super impressed by how Darcy Kemper has been playing. I don't like how Colorado defends. That's the biggest X factor here. Darcy Kemper. I mean, if Kemper was playing well, it's a huge advantage over Mike Smith. I'm not sure that's an advantage at the moment. The one thing that really cratered Calgary more than anything else is Markstrom just could not consistently make saves. No, he couldn't. Now, they also give up a lot of high quality. I mean, Edmonton generates high quality chances. Yes. And Connor well, I mean, McDavid is going to... they've got the best players exactly. in hockey. Exactly. That's not going to magically stop happening. Yeah. Darcy Kemper is going to be in trouble in this series, too. So, I look at the series, and I look at all those factors. And you're right. Colorado is a favorite team. They should win this series. There's zero value in betting on <laughs> Colorado. None. None. Yeah. Uh, over at playnow.com, the series odds... Okay. On the money line, Avs 140. Oilers pan 3 to 1. I'm taking the Oilers to win this series down. Oilers are winning this. I don't Oilers know how many games. You're I, saying Oilers going to the Stanley I'm Cup saying final. Oilers going to the Cup final. And I'm taking the value on this bet. There's yeah. no way I'm well, I mean, not it taking is the value. value bet. Huge value. I mean, you're getting three to over 3 to 1 odds on Connor McDavid? Mhm. I'm taking it. See, it's <laughs> From a betting perspective, yeah, you're right. There's no way I'm taking, um, I'm taking the Avalanche. Like, there's just no value there. But and the value, and I think, and I honestly think, as far as upsets go, Edmonton has a chance. Edmonton has a real chance of winning. Who's the series. stopping McKinnon? Who's stopping McDavid? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, you're right. I mean, it's going to be a. It's gonna Colorado be a f- has more. Yeah, but they just got more throughout the entire lineup. But is everybody coming through? Everything went well for Edmonton. Did did everything go well for them? Really? I mean, Mike Smith gives up a howler. I mean, they had bad moments. Okay. The first game was terrible. You know how bad Mike Smith would have had to be to be worse than Jacob Markstrom in that series? They gave up seven goals. How many goals did he give up in the first game? Eight? Nine. Nine. They gave up nine goals in the first game. Yeah, it was one game. One game, but they still ended up winning. <laughs> but my point is, like, those things can happen. Yeah. They still found a way to win, and there's still a team that can lean heavily on those top-end guys. The other thing I wonder about Colorado, too, is 
special teams. Their PK is going to be in trouble. I mean, everybody's PK is in trouble against McDavid and Dreisaitl. Exactly. I, I, I think Edmonton has a better chance with their PK. I feel like you're slow buying what Jay Woodcroft is selling on the Oilers <laughs> that he's got the whole Pierre Dorian vibe going, like we're a team. And they're playing more like I'm, a team. I, I hey, there's what, something to that, but I'm no. I'm just going with the best two players. I mean, what what did Leon Drysaddle do in the first two rounds? Just own. what did he do in that round? He did something nobody's ever done in NHL history. Seventeen points. <laughs> Seventeen points. Like it's not like I'm sitting here and and and, and saying you know. This is a decent team that can upset the Colorado. I'm talking about the two best players on the planet and a guy doing something on one leg nobody's ever done on two legs. 17 points in a series. And he's doing it on one leg. I, okay, am I buying into the hype? Maybe a little bit. But I think it's too much juice and value and intrigue to bet against Edmonton. So uh, I don't like betting on Colorado and their series odds because it's too much, right? You're paying too much juice. How about Nathan McKinnon paying $4 on the money line to have the most points in the series? Ooh. If That's you actually like, good. If, if you That's like Colorado bet. to win the series, I like that bet. Take that bet rather than betting Colorado on this. Well, series. Nathan McKinnon has a better p- playoff point per game average than Connor McDavid does. Yeah, for his career, McKinnon's like one of the top players all time. Yes, he's he's game. been unreal in the postseason. This is the first year McDavid is going off in the playoffs. Um, so that's one other play that I like when it comes to the series. Uh, you could take a look at McKinnon pan four to one. Is there any way like could McDavid win the Conn Smythe if he doesn't make the Stanley Cup final? Like, mm. let's say Edmonton takes this to seven games. And McDavid has a stupid good series, but ends up falling short. Is there any way you could award? No. No, stop it. You can't award the, the consmite to a player not in the cup final. Stop it. Wasn't it the, the same situation when Eric Carlson? Yes, I was just thinking run? about that. Yeah. yeah. And he, 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 people were talking about it, but I don't you even think no. he was close. No, you can't. <laughs> How? No. You got to get to the cup final first. I mean, that's like incomplete. Yeah. You know? You got you got to have something. Yeah, it's you know what it's like. It's like do it's like doing your test and not signing your name on it. You did the work, but you didn't finish it. You didn't get to that final stage. If you're not in that final stage, you can't be considered. Uh, but if t- he got to the cup final, yeah, and he lost in the cup final, then could you give it to him? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that before. J.S. Jagir's won it before. There's been um, a few guys. A few guys. I think Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall too. In the yeah. 80s. Uh, intern Ben, uh, we do have a question for you before the end of the show, but I do want to. Text. I want to get some of the texts in from the listeners who are uh, all about this Colorado Edmonton series. McCarr is going to lead the Avs in points. That's from uh, Marcus and Gibsons. That's a good one, too. Uh, that pays four and a half to one over at playnow.com. Uh, Oilers Canes Cup final. Fernando Pisani resurrected as Zach Hyman. Take it to the <laughs> bank. Hyman's a bit better than Pisani, but what a run hey, Pisani. Watch, watch your mouth. I mean, he scored like 20, 20 goals in 20 games, was it? <laughs> he was nuts. He, was he just disappeared after that. Well, yeah, too. I mean, I think he had, I mean, um, I think uh, colitis or something. He oh, had some issues. Right. He had some intestine issues, unfortunately, that cut his career short. Uh, Kadri will be in McJesus's hip pocket every shift every night. Yeah. And Connor is not going to like it or be able to keep his cool. It's a good Hashtag Tekanen treatment. It's a good point. I mean, all the factors point in Colorado's favor. 
Uh, Clayton and Qualcomm, you guys are underrating McDavid's ability to win the series on his own. I'm I, picking I, the Oilers. I believe Sad is, is in fact, not doing that. <laughs> uh, Kemper just needs to be average. McCarr will be the X factor. That's from uh, Torgy. And Colorado is miles better than Calgary, and Edmonton isn't as good as they showed. Uh, that's from Torgy as well, who's blowing up the text line. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, I, I understand. I'm just not enamored with Colorado. Like, I, I, I see more flaws than most people see with them, and maybe that's why. And, and personally, and you know what? That could be my issue here, that I'm seeing too many flaws, and I want to pick somebody to upset them. I, that could, I, 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 I will admit that could be playing a factor here because we all have unconscious biases to a certain extent, but I really believe Edmonton has a good chance of winning the series. It's not just how talented Colorado is. One of the things they do, and yeah, okay, they don't defend very well, but they always overload the offensive zone with their entries. They yeah. activate the fourth defenseman, or they activate the fourth player more than anybody else in the league. You see it with Taves, you see it with McCarr, Eric Johnson even does it quite a bit, especially when they had Sam Gerrard in the lineup. They obviously don't have that anymore, but like they activate mm-hmm. one of their defensemen all the time, more than anybody else in the league. I don't know how Edmonton defends against that. Because they're the not a good defending team. No, they're not, but neither was St. Louis. Yeah. And St. Louis had Colorado. That should not have been... That series could have been a seven-game series. Yeah. You know, and the Blues really got in their own way. Especially in game six. Especially, you know, it was a game four where they screwed things up as well. Colorado has some flaws. And I think two different points you mentioned. Here's the thing. When you overload, though... A lot of chances the other way can happen. Yeah. And especially when you have those guys that Edmonton has. We'll see if they do that uh, when McDavid and Dreisaitl are on the ice. Uh, All right. Quick thing before we go. We talked about it on Mailbag Friday. Uh, Josh, you understood the assignment. You watched Goodfellas. I did. Ben Turn did not. He did not do his homework on Friday. He had had the whole weekend to watch Goodfellas. Have you watched Goodfellas yet? No. Oh, Oof. Oh, Real man. spider move, if you ask me. Wow. Oh. Yeah, total spider move. I wish, I wish I knew what that meant. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if you ever do. Apparently, it's not very good. <laughs> no, you don't want to be spider, as Josh found out. Uh, very disappointed in you. I'm okay. not mad. I'm just disappointed. That hurts. Which that, is always worse. Yeah, that's way worse. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, make sure you do that. Maybe watch Game 7 tonight instead. Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes coming up on Sportsnet 650. Tomorrow we will have the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche game, one of that series. And Sat's been doing his homework on some of the Canucks' most recent draft class. And despite what we were talking about today, it may be a little bit more promising than you think. Stay tuned for tomorrow. That's coming up tomorrow on Canucks Central. For producer Josh Elliott-Wolf, intern Ben, my co-host Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Richo. Enjoy Game 7 on Sports at 650.